Hello, and we are live. I'm so excited to be talking to uh, someone who I've been wanting to have on the show for a while, uh, a real inspiration, um, moral figure. Uh, his name is, as you probably know, because you're watching this, and uh, I know that a lot of listeners and viewers have already requested that you come on, that I invite you on. So Bishop Dr. William J. Barber, he's the president and senior lecturer of Repairs of the Breach, co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign and National Call for Moral Revival, Bishop with the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, visiting professor at Union Theological Seminary, the architect of the moral movement, co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, uh, which of course was uh, begun by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and um, relaunched by Bishop Barber. <laughs> So welcome, and thank you so much for taking uh, time. We know how busy you are. You're organizing an incredibly important march. So could you just tell people what uh, the march that you're organizing is and what the demands are? Yeah, well, first, let me thank you for having me. And let me welcome you, all of your audience, also on behalf of Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, our co-chair, the 45 coordinating committees of the Poor People's Campaign around the country and thousands of clergy and most of all impacted people, poor and low wealth people that represent the 140 million poor and low wealth people in this country, 43% of the nation. And also, you know, Dr. King did lift this up, but it was also the, the um, welfare rights women who helped push Dr. King. And I think that part of the history should never be left off. Listen, we're, we're, we're in a, a serious time where we're seeing political insurrection. We've seen physical fighting mean insurrection on January 6th, but since then we've seen political insurrection. The, the, uh, literally a, 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 a attempt to wage a political coup through changing voting laws after 56 million people used non-traditional ways to vote. And so Texas uh, is like the canary in the mine. And a uh, number of states have already passed them, but Texas is a place that we need to nationalize. And so I, the Poor People's Campaign in Texas and others said, would, would you come to Texas and join us in a four-day march from Georgetown, Texas to Austin, Selma-like, like the march in 65, when the people in, in Selma and, and that march said to the federal government, to the Senate, the House, and the president, we can't fight this stuff state by state alone. We need federal laws. And so for four days, we'll be marching four to five hours a day, COVID safe with masks and vaccinated, those that come. And then in Austin, we'll have a mass rally, COVID safe. Everybody asked to wear masks and distance. But uh, on, on uh, Saturday, July 31st, and here are the five demands. One, end the filibuster. The filibuster is no, nowhere in our constitution, nowhere shouldn't even be a part of how we deal with politics. So end the filibuster. Number two, pass the true John Lewis bill, which is the For the People's Act, because that's the only way to undo what's being done through these laws. Number two, pass and restore and expand the Voting Rights Act that was gutted eight years ago. Hey, I want your audience to hear, for eight years, we've not acted on this. And then number five, past $15 minimum wage now, because you got to connect voting rights to economic rights. The same people that block voting, block health care, block living wages, block immigrant rights, block LGBTQ rights, and pass laws to hurt women and block public education funding. And then lastly, 
pass laws that pro will protect our immigrant brothers and sisters, especially uh, DACA students, and do it by August the 6th, which is the day a Texan pre a president from Texas signed the original Voting Rights Act. We believe it's time to mobilize. We've we launched on J July 12th a national season of mobilization, Moral Mondays in Washington, D.C. Last week, over 100 women were arrested, black and white and brown and Asian from all over the country. We go to, we're going to all of the Senate offices on Monday with delegations to ask them, do they agree with these five things? If they don't, there's going to be direct action. If they do, we'll, we'll uh, celebrate them. And then on Tuesday, we start this march. And then on the following Monday, after the big rally in, in Austin, we're calling for clergy and low-wage workers. We're putting the pulpit and the workers together to be in D.C. to engage in nonviolent moral direct action. Uh, it's on. And there's no way in the world we can be talking about an infrastructure bill while we're letting the infrastructure of the democracy go to hell. I mean, that's, there's no other way to put it. You need both. People say, well, let's do the infrastructure first and then let's fix the infrastructure of democracy. No, you, if, there's no need to build a bridge if then people are going to abridge your right to vote. The right to vote is the bridge to all the other policies. So we need to do both and and not either or. And can you talk about why you're focusing on Texas for people who um, aren't necessarily caught up? Well, first of all, the Texas bill is atrocious. What I mean, it all, Texas was already the worst, had the worst voting laws in the country. And as my grandmother used to say, they want to get worse. Now, that's a bad English, but it's good political language. Uh, they want to get worse. They were already bad. They've already been sued time and time and time again and lost, particularly when the Voting Rights Act was, was fully um, operative before it was gutted. Now, after the elections, following the lies of the Southern strategy and then the lies of, of Trump. You know, the Southern strategy for years had told lies about voting fraud ever since the days of Richard Nixon. So Trump's lie is a lie on top of lies. And Texas also is one of the most diverse states now. And really, it's not a red state. It's a voter suppression unorganized state. If you get the voter suppression out of the way and organized, Texas is not red because you've got such a diversity there. And in Texas, there are 12, 13 million poor and low wealth people. And in 2016, the president won, the presidential candidate won by 800,000 votes. There were 2.7 million poor and low wealth people who did not vote. And many of them, their votes were suppressed. Texas is the place where they would accept your, your they would accept the gun license <laughs> over other forms of, of so-called ID. Uh, Texas is a place where 5 million people make less than a living wage in Texas. So, so Texas needs to be nationalized uh, so that we can, you know, you nationalize a state so that you can point to what's happening in the other states. And, you know, I like to say in, in, in doing slavery, it took two years for the message to get to Texas. We call that Juneteenth. Well, today, people in Texas saying it's not going to take them two years to speak up. They, we're going to say from Texas, D.C., you need to act. From Texas, we're going to give strength and call the president and Senator Schumer and those Democrats to move on this issue. If, we, we, it's, it's, if you stop what's happening in Texas and the, you put laws in place to stop that, then you stop it everywhere else. So we're nationalizing Texas, just like 
Alabama was nationalized in the 1960s. It's time to nationalize Texas today. And can you talk about uh, something you mentioned now and also you talk about a lot, which I always appreciate, is how you, you reject the binary, the black and white. And there's a lot of like siloing of issues where it's just a voting rights issue or just an economic issue. And something you talk about is how connected these things are. Can you talk about that connection? Yeah, that's the worst mistake we can make is to say voting rights is the black issue and economics is workers and, and white and climate is white. It's foolish. Dr. King said at the end of the Selma to Montgomery March, he said these words. He said, the, the segregated society was created by the wealthy, greedy aristocracy who deliberately sowed division because of their fear of the white and black masses uniting together to change the economic architecture of the nation. And so we have to make the connections. People want to say, well, this is all about suppressing black vote. This is Jim Crow. No, it's not. This is James Crow Esquire. And James Crow Esquire will go after black people, poor people, white women, white people, Asian people, native people, students, the disabled. If you read these bills, they're passing. It's going to hinder, you know, it's going to hurt poor people and, and working people in low wage. It's going to hurt the disabled people. It's going to hurt people in rural areas. Um, it's going to hurt across the board. Now, surely race is a part of it, but you can't stop with race. You, you might start with race, but you can't stop with race. You've got to show how this, these bills uh, have a class impact. They have a demographic impact. They have a geographical impact. And we need to be fighting, even if it was just towards black people. It's being done in the name of our democracy, and all of us should be against it. We should be united, even if it was just, you know, at black people. But it's not. And that's why we need to be together. And then secondly, we need to make sure we understand the connection. Extremists who call themselves Republicans want to control voting because they cannot make their case among the majority of the people. They know the majority of the people don't agree with them. So they want the power. They want to hold the levers of power so they can control the purse book and the pocketbook of America. If that wasn't so, why is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce behind blocking the For the People's Act? Why is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce celebrating Republicans and Manchin and Cinema? Because they want people in office that will cater to the wealthy elite. They want people in office who will block living wages, block health care, and pass tax cuts. So we have to have more than a binary black-white discussion about this and fight back. We need the LGBT community. The same people that suppressing the vote, they're against the LGBT acute trans community. Same people suppressing the vote are the ones that are not fixing the utility systems in Texas. The ones who are blocking living wages. The same people in that suppress the vote are the same ones that block Texas from having Medicaid. Texas is the least uh, health covered state in the entire country. So we, the same people that are passing uh, uh, these voting uh, restrictions, voter suppression bills, are the same people that fight women having equal pay and fight protection of women's right to choose. We have to make the connection. And while silos are important, silos in this moment have to come together. Mm. But 
if you undermine the right to vote, if you if you suppress, you don't have to suppress it much. In, in Texas right now, if 23% of poor and low-wealth people who didn't vote last time voted, you would fundamentally shift who Texas elects to the selects for president, governor, so forth. That's that's 20%, not 80%, 20%. So when they try to suppress the vote, they're not trying to suppress 100%. In some races, if they can suppress 1%, for instance, in Wisconsin, last time in 2016, Trump lost, Trump won by 20 some thousand votes. 250,000 votes were suppressed. You see, so this is nothing to play with. And in America, we should be finding more ways for people to vote. We should be having uh, automatic registration at 18. We should have 24-hour voting. We should have uh, voting by mail. We should have drop boxes. There's no fraud. The fraud is in the claim of fraud. That's where the fraud is. Yeah. And, and lastly, those that don't want the For the People Act, think most people don't know what John Lewis put in the For the People Act. He put guaranteeing uh, early voting. Guaranteeing same-day registration, uh, guaranteeing getting money out of politics, guaranteeing giving the attorney general more power to, to, to be engaged. If you don't want the For the People Act, that means you don't want those things. You would rather states be able to take it out. We need national standards for federal election across the board. Do you think that the Democrats, I, I heard you on J Dr. Jason Johnson's show, and you said something I couldn't hear about um only God can heal the leper, I think. I, <laughs> and you, you were saying that, uh, you know, of course you're going to condemn McConnell, but, but let's also, you know, the Democrats are in power now. Can you, can you explain that quote and what you were, what yeah. you were saying? It's a, it's a quote in the Bible where it says when some people, you know, when you keep hoping for change and, and I, and I admire the president and others to say, I would like to bring people along, but that can't mean they get to hold you back. Because some people are not going to change because they haven't changed for 50 years. See, the, the mistake we make is keep blaming this on Trump. Well, Trump is not in office and they got worse. <laughs> you know, Trump wasn't in office and they, 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 they he's not in office. And they're launching the worst attack on voting rights we've seen yeah. since Jim Crow. So we you have to understand this is deeper than one man. Trump is the iconography of a too often repeated American reality and, 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 and what we see, the, the current Republican Party today is the Republican Party born out of Strom Thurmond, Jesse Hams, and those former Democrats that decided, particularly in the South, they wanted to make the Republican Party the party of, quote, white people in the South. Now, they might get a few black people, but they wanted it to be the party of regression, the party of going backwards. And they've been trying to control the South through the Southern strategy ever since 1968. And they've done a pretty good job. So you can't, they may change, but they're not going to change because you just keep negotiating with them because every time they bring up a compromise, their compromise is to make things worse. The only way they can change is for us to stand strong, be true, and move forward. Otherwise, they will keep compromising. They're not even going to compromise. You know, the Republicans will, will force a compromise and still vote against the bill. They did that with, with Obama. They forced them to compromise on the Fordbrook era, and then still voted against it. So Democrats need to get some backbone. They need to say to Manchin and Cinema, you're not going to get into this infrastructure money if you don't 
uh, uh, save the infrastructure of this democracy. 79% of the people in West Virginia disagree with Manchin. They want the For the People Act. I'm talking about white and black people. They want the, the Voting Rights Act restored. They want 15 and a union. So we need to be strong and we don't need to have a false understanding of compromise. Compromise with people who don't even believe, number one, there's a problem and, and, and who don't even want all the people to vote. And they've shown that over and over again. Only God can change them. What we have to do is do what's right. Sometimes you can't wait till people come along. Every piece of, of, of legislation post-slavery was passed by one party with no votes on the other side. All of them, 14th Amendment, 13th Amendment, 14th Amendment, 15th Amendment. You see, very, if you look at civil rights legislation, there wasn't hardly any, any real so-called bipartisanship. But you know what? They, they lift up bipartisanship like it's the Lord or it's God or it's the thing. The bipartisanship is here. It's in the people. 79%. Nowhere in this country are there more than, there, in every place in this country, at least 70% of the people want voting rights protected, want wages raised, want health care. So it's time for us to stop allowing this regressive small group of, of, of senators run roughshod and tyranny over the goodwill of the American people. Um, and it's time for us to honor the Constitution. You know, the Constitution, 15th Amendment says no one has a right to deny or abridge. It didn't just say deny. Mm. It says abridge. And what they are doing is an abridgment to the right to vote. And basically what they're saying is the 56 million people who voted last time in non-traditional ways, they want to cut all of that out. 56 million people in the last election voted in ways other than on election day. We should be celebrating that. We should be embracing that. But that's not their plan because for them, politics is about greed and grabbing and getting everything they can. And so what we're saying is don't have a false notion about bringing people along. And then lastly, where we think Democrats ought to be focused on their own caucus. Now, one thing you can say about Republicans, my sister, they stick together. Um, Trump talked about Ted Cruz's mama, and he still stuck with him. Now, in my community, if you talk about my mama, game over. <laughs> We're not having any more conversation. He talked about that man's mama, and, his, and he talked about another man's wife. Yeah. So they stick together. Democrats need to don't not see this as a Democrat versus Republican issue. This is a right versus wrong issue. This is a constitutional versus unconstitutional issue. This is a moral versus immoral issue. And if we do not do right, and Democrats hear me well, Mr. President, hear me, the chaos is not going to come if we end the filibuster. The filibuster is causing the chaos. And, if, and the chaos is not having protections at the federal level from this tyranny happening in the states. And if we don't pass the For the People's Act and the Voting Rights Act and raise living wages to 15 and protect our immigrants and end this filibuster, it is morally indefensible, constitutionally inconsistent, it is politically insidious, it is historically inaccurate to suggest that the 
filibuster does some good and it's economically insane not to do this. Something that you talk about uh, just now is, is not waiting for people to come along, but it seems like you're also committed to converting people. Oh, yeah. um, bring, so what is that line? And, and is there a difference when you're, when you're trying to appeal to people who are elected officials versus like voters or non-voters? Where's that line between um, bringing people over without letting progress be stopped? Well, the line is, is a line that comes out of, the, out of the movement called the right time to do right is right now. And sometimes you have to do the right thing and then people will catch up. So if you got an opportunity to expand the right to vote, protect the right vote, do it. And then the politicians will decide whether or not they want to be a part of a democracy where they have to make the case for their people's votes or whether they're going to be simply a part of a suppressive activity. And if you've protected the right to vote and they can't suppress it, then politically they'll change. They'll change. If they want to be in office, they'll change. If they want to be a part of the governing, they'll change. But the last thing you can do is hold up right for wrong. <laughs> and right. what we see happening now is wrong. And then the other thing about it, some people say the difference between, you know, the politicians and the people. Well, one of the things that concerns me in this country right now is that we seem to, some, too many people in this country seem to have given up on mass action, um, you know, in some countries, if this was going on, there'd be millions of people in the streets. We, we think, okay, they're elected. Uh, there's nothing we can do till we wait to the next election. Well, in North Carolina, we proved that wrong. In 2013, when the Voting Rights Act was gutted, the first thing they did was pass the worst voter suppression bill we had seen since Jim Crow. We, had, we started Moral Mondays, right? Even before the voting rights was gutted, it went on for two years, 1,200 arrests. But in addition to mass mobilization, we had a legal strategy. We had a election political or, re or registered voting strategy. Now, it took us four years to win in court on one case, six years on another. And it took us about, I can't think of that, three years to, 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 to overturn the governor but we stayed at it. And one of the things I say to people, we have to start thinking about movements and not moments. You need movements, not moments. You need seasons of consistency. We don't know what these politicians will do until, if, until we put thousands of people in the street, thousands of people in, at their, in front of their office in a nonviolent way. Um, Joe, um, Joe Manchin was, was saying he would never move on the, on the filibuster and on the bill, then we marched about 800 people to his steps in his state, not in D.C., in his state. And they looked like him, 80 percent of them were white from the hollows of the mountain. We put the holler and the hood together. And the next morning he started talking about, well, 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 well maybe I could do something. Now, we didn't like his compromise, but it was the next morning. So what we need to start understanding is the people really still do have the power. These politicians are still ultimately politicians. But what we've got to do is know that there comes a season where the tweet is not going to do enough, nor is the email. Now, now, one of the things I think they're doing, this is just my thinking, they're trying to do stuff now in the midst of COVID because we haven't been able to get out like normal. 
But that's why we're saying in Texas, we're going to be COVID safe, but we're not going to stay in anymore. We can't because we can't let them take the democracy away in the midst of a, 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 a pandemic. We're going to get our vaccinations and those who aren't vaccinated, we encourage you to get yours. We're going to tell everybody to put on their masks. But we, one of the things we're not going to do is stand down. We can't afford to stand down and let them, t- you know, right now, my sister, here's where I, what we believe. This really is not an issue of whether or not the Democratic Party or the Republican Party is going to survive. It's an issue of whether America is going to survive. I mean, this is this is heavy stuff. Because if you if, if, if we don't overturn the what they're doing, we we will in essence have a civil oligarchy. That's what we have, where it's run by big money, and big money gets to determine what kind of laws we put in place as it relates to the vote. And once you have a civil oligarchy, the next step is autocracy. Mm-hmm. That's the next logical step. So this is serious, and this is the time for us. And if you can't come out, we need to be we need to be calling every day. We've got we are asking people thousands to go shut down the, the 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 switchboards, but stay at it, stay at it, stay at it. So we've got to have mass mobilization. We have to have meaningful litigation. We have to have uh, a me- meaningful uh, 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 legislation, and we have to have mass voter participation. All four of these things we must do simultaneously. And in terms of uh, bringing people along, I know that you've spoken. I forget this quote. I'm like a total fan of yours. And I have a collection of <laughs> quotes and I tweeted this one out, but I don't know where it is. But you said something on Bill Maher's show. You said something about um, how liberals love talking about how racist other white people are or something or liberal middle class liberals love talking about how, how racist poor white people are. I'll, I'll find it. But yeah. you, you were you were speaking about the way that peop- some people are so quick to condemn others and yeah. uh, and kind of discarding them when I do think in many cases people can be brought along. Yeah. Um, how, how do you do that? Well, let me give you the example Yeah. what I was talking about. I get so tired of folk coming up with this easy answer that is poor white folk, for instance, that put Trump in office when the data is not there. Yeah. In this past election, 55% of people that were poor and low-wealth voted for Biden-Harris. There are 65 million poor and low-wealth people in this country. In 2016, about 26 million voted. In 2020, about 34 million voted, maybe 33 million voted, something like that. But the data is the majority of poor and low-wealth people, white or black, don't vote for regressive candidates. A lot of them don't vote because they get written off. Yeah, I mean, they just don't vote at all, right? They don't vote at all. Because, and and when, we, when we did a study with professors from Columbia University, we asked the question, how do you unleash the power of poor and low-wealth voters? They, had, they came back with three answers why they didn't vote. And the first one was, nobody calls our name. Nobody talks about poverty. Nobody comes to see us. We went to the, to the Harlan County, Kentucky, way back in eastern Kentucky. They told me, they said, we haven't seen a Democratic uh, candidate for a governor, for a president since Lyndon Bain Johnson or a Republican. Uh, so when you write people off and you dismiss them, that's an easy target, right? And it's wrong because, because 
when we do, for instance, when we do our political debates, think about it, president debate, when the last time have you heard a whole debate on poverty and low wealth? And yet 30% of the electorate is poor and low wealth. Right. And that's the change is possible. So how do you bring people along? You honor them, you recognize them, you talk about their issues, you, you hear their stories, you listen to their solutions. And right now in this country, we don't have a, 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 a lack of money or a lack of ideas. We got a lack of moral consciousness. That's, that's the problem. And so I believe you bring people along by first honoring who they are and recognizing who they are. And in our campaign, we're putting well, white folk from Appalachia together with black folk from Alabama. We're putting uh, Latinos together from California with fast food workers from the Carolinas. That's what has to happen in this country because right now we're in a serious uh, state. You got a, we had 140 million poor and low wealth people in this country before COVID. A quarter million people dying a year from poverty, 700 dying a day. Eight million more fell into poverty during this uh, uh, crisis uh, and, 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 and growing. And, uh, and uh, uh, billionaires made almost $2 trillion. You bring people along by starting, we like to say you got to build from the bottom. That's what we're saying to the Biden administration, saying to Congress. Whatever plans you're having, infrastructure, uh, uh, wages, health care, the first question that ought to be asked is, how does this lift from the bottom? Not how does it lift from the middle, because that's neoliberalism that doesn't get us anywhere, or how does it trickle down from the top? That doesn't get us anywhere either. The question is, how do we lift from the bottom? Mm. Yeah, Republicans, we all know, I think, right, divide and use divide and conquer, and oh, do you do you have to go? You're yeah, so telling me I got oh, okay, okay. Go well, this, okay. Republicans use divide and conquer. Um, do you think sometimes the Democrats use it in, a, in the opposite way? And I'm not equating the two parties, but do you think sure. that sometimes Democrats try to cover up the connections between racial justice and class justice? Oh, sure. So, so we that yeah, we don't deal with it. We 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 talk about them as though they're separate. And I'm an independent. But I tell you what I'm really bothered. Too many Democrats wrote off the South for the last 50 years. They really, If Democrats really had invested in the South and organized in the South and built coalitions in the South, what you saw in, in North Carolina in 207 when Obama won in 208 and then what you saw in Georgia this year, that, they don't have to be anomalies. They don't have to be anomalies. But when you have this idea that we have a blue wall, and you start off your presidential campaign saying, well, we're going to write off these states. These are red states. And the media does it a lot, too. They say these are red states when they're really not red. They're suppressed, unorganized states. We say we're going to write them off. But we can get to 270 this way. So you're going to give up like 180 electoral college votes and, and, and 30 percent of the United States House and 25 or 26 members of the Senate. And, and you're going to count on a blue wall, to me, that is a form of division too. Instead of what you ought to be doing is running a, in the whole country. You know, you ought to make your case. to the, We argued when, for instance, when Obama passed, the, uh, uh, when they passed the uh, uh, Medicaid expansion, he should have come to Alabama, come to Mississippi, come, come to Texas, come and talked about how this bill and how this health care, if your state accepts it, will help even the people who didn't vote for me. 
Go to people, make the case. Don't write people off. Right now, I said the other day, that President Biden should go to Arizona, should go to West Virginia, should come to Texas, talk to people on the ground, and then say to Pelosi and, 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 and Schumer, I need to go speak in the well of the Congress, just like Kennedy, just like FDR, just like Lincoln, just like uh, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson. After he has come down to the South and talked to people, and then go to the well of the Congress, prime time, and say to this guy, we must do both of these things together, right? But don't write people off, you know. Uh, uh, don't say things like, well, uh, it doesn't matter if we, we don't pass these bills. We'll just focus on turnout. Turnout alone is not going to do this because then what you're doing is you're blaming the people. You're saying, well, y'all don't turn out. That's the reason these problems. No, the problems exist because of the suppression. The problem exists because of the racialized and class-driven gerrymandering. That's why the problems exist. So, so yes, sometimes, you know, our good liberal brothers and sisters have, have made the mistake uh, of, of dismissing people. And sometimes they've been, um, they, they say, well, don't deal with race, deal with class. And that in itself is disrespect. It's both and, right. it's not either or. It's both and it is not either. And I'm not talking, talking about black, white. I'm talking about how Native Americans are treated. Latinos are treated. Because here's one thing we have to own. And it's a hard truth, but it's the truth. In the last few years, there were a couple, a couple of times when Democrats had both the Senate, the House, and the presidents. A lot of this stuff should have been dealt with when that was the case. But when you worry more about what the Republicans are going to do in response to what you do than taking care of the people who put you in office. Now, I'm not just talking about black people. Or more importantly, doing what's right. Then you actually end up wasting opportunity. And I know the politics. Hey, you don't understand Washington, D.C. You don't understand how it works. Yes, I do. I understand that there are a whole lot of Democrats that run one way, and when they get elected, they act another, i.e. Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin signed his name as a co-sponsor to the For the People Act. Now, how in the heaven are you going to sign your name as a co-sponsor to the For the People Act, and then it's on the floor and you can't vote for it? Because he signed it when, when McConnell was leader, and he knew it would never come to the floor. And we've got to expose that kind of trickery and challenge it. And we've got to let the people help us do that. Because as I said, the people in West Virginia, they don't agree with that. And so let's bring everybody together. Let's fight for that. I'm not naive. I know it's hard. We know it's hard. But we also know that there's one, one ace in the hole. And that is that poor and low wealth people now hold the power even in the electorate, if they're organized. And Dr. King saw it 50 years ago, we see it today. The poor, low wealth people of every race, creed, and color come or organize to address and say, we're going to face systemic racism, poverty, ecological devastation, denial of health care, and the war economy. And we're going to take on the false moral narrative of religious nationalism. Not, not all of them. If, if a significant number of poor, low wealth people particularly in about 15 or 20 states organized for both to change the narrative of power 
we can shift the direction of this country. And we've decided we're going to try to do that. Well, thank you so much. I'll stay on without um, the Reverend to, just to, to direct people to the website and to the Twitter and all the dates. But um, so that we don't waste your time, uh, because I know how busy you are. Thank you so much. And please come back. We'd love to have you oh, back on again. Sure. Anytime. Great. Austin, four days. If you can't do the four days, be with us on July 31st. Bring your mask. Be COVID yes. safe. Six feet apart. But open your mouth and stand up. This is the time. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a great day. Night. Bye. That was amazing. I don't get, uh, you know, lots of people on the show. I don't get starstruck often, but I have to say I was starstruck. Um, it's a little not starstruck because that make. I mean, I don't know what amazing person struck. But yeah, that was great. So first of all, everyone should follow um, the Reverend Rev. Dr. Barber. So Rev. Dr. Barber is his Twitter. Um, make sure that you follow him and also um, you follow Unite the Poor. That's Unite the Poor. That's the Poor People's Campaign. And of course, if you're not on Twitter, uh, you can still check out uh, his websites and Breacher Repairs. That's uh, BreacherRepairs.org. Also, make sure that you... Um, just learn more about this. Uh, you can RSVP to the Poor People's Campaign event. I will put that in the link. I'll put that in the description. Um, and again, it starts Saturday, July 31st at 10 a.m. And you can attend part of it or all of it. Um, and it, they're calling a moral resurrection, which I really like. Action.poorpeoplescampaign.org is where you can find out more about it. Again, they are demanding the end to the filibuster, passing all provisions of the For the People Act, fully restoring the 18, 1965 Voting Rights Act, raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, permanent protections, dignity, and respect for all 11 million undocumented immigrants. So that's so great. See, he's really, you know, like he and this poor people's movement uh, is bringing together these, you know, bringing everyone together, which is um, pretty amazing. And we need to be doing more of that. Please check out what they're doing at the Poor People's Campaign, and I'll link to it. You can, of course, become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Bye, everyone.